Hey guys, welcome to our show, No See, Feel the Market. My name's Max, and I'm actually here with our Hawaiian legend, Everson. And then we also have our master genius over here, Patrick. Don't play a board game against him because he'll kick your butt. First-hand experience. We have a great show for you today. And uh, if you guys haven't seen our show before, this is just basically our mastermind. We have our conversation about what we see in the market, how our trades are going. We share a few tips and hints um, and basically making sure that we are growing ourselves. And uh, one day we had the idea to share this platform to viewers so we can help other uh, traders improve just like us. Uh, this is free for you guys. We hope you enjoy this. We hope you get tremendous value. And if you do, please make sure to like, subscribe, and invite a friend next episode because uh, we're doing this for you guys. And so we questions. wanted to get, yeah, absolutely, ask questions. Uh, and then we'll see if we can answer them and, and give you guys as much value as we can. Our goal is to make sure that you guys are transitioning into a more profitable, consistent trader. And that's what we're here for. So let's move on directly into uh, what we saw last week. What did we do last week with a few trades? Hey, Patrick, why don't, why don't you start us off? Well, obviously last week was pretty interesting. I feel like tech right now is almost unstoppable, which really surprises me. I mean, we all knew that during the Rony Rona, tech was doing good with people staying at home and everything. But uh, like last week when Facebook, the CFO said that, the future was very uncertain and everything. And even though advertising is coming back, it's still like on shaky grounds, but nothing seems to really stop it. And I feel like also oil is coming back, not necessarily like it was three months ago, but oil has been pretty uh, strong this week. And who could have predicted that a few weeks ago? Remember like everyone? I did. <laughs> except Everson, of course. <laughs> but I mean, we all knew that we were close to the bottom, but my point being like the demand still hasn't come back yet. So for it to show signs of strong, like it's a little surprising to me, but yeah, so that's been carrying the market this week. And that was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I actually had to adjust some of my positions. Um, I had made a little vertical spread on Facebook uh, when it was at like 190, I set a spread at uh, 215 to 220, and it very quickly attacked it. And that's when I was like, well, yeah, um, tech is really trending up right now. It's very hard to go against it. So instead of going against it, I'm adjusting to now I'm selling uh, put spreads assuming that it's going to stay stable or go up so that's the main thing i've done this week and gold and silver have been silver has been popping up but gold has been fairly stable so i did an iron condor around it assuming that within the next two weeks it's not going to go up too much or down too much that's basically what i've noticed this week good yeah tech uh, seems unstoppable but you know, anytime you're you're buying a new product, it's usually going to be a tech product just because, you know, you always want the latest thing. You know, nobody's going to buy a new bookshelf just because the technology is better. Uh, so that's really interesting. Uh, as for me, I'm in silver. I'm just uh, rolling with the punches. Silver 
popped tremendously. It's trying to make up that difference in ratio between gold, and uh, it's making it a lot of fun. Um, I'm actually loving it. The only thing is I'm addicted to making adjustments, and when you're in silver, it's so boring that, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you, if you make two adjustments a week, uh, you had a very, very productive week. But let's move on to Everson. Uh, what did you see last week? How did it go? Oh, last week was really good on the call um, with CEQP. Um, I, if you haven't seen the last week's episode, go ahead and take a look at it. I made a call on CEQP and PXI, and they did really well. Um, as far as what I traded out with, I did a trade out with gold, and I felt like it was kind of reaching its, its top um, resistance levels. And so I, I traded out on gold. Uh, pretty good profitability uh, overall in the percentage. I think I was like at around 34%, something like that. So my profit is a profit no matter how high it goes up. I think that it should come down and correct itself a little bit. Uh, other than that, I did get into a couple of positions uh, for a short, uh, short-term cycle. JD and AT&T. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. Hey, to follow up with your gold, uh, actually one of my uh, my clients uh, found on his own this uh, gold stock, RGLD. And he got in at 115. It's now, I believe, 135. And uh, he had sold some calls. It was absolutely buried. So I'm walking him through the steps on how to... Uh, to increase his profits through this, but RGLD absolutely dominating right now. Uh, it's it's much uh, more productive right now than GLD, which was really interesting, you know. And that's why we love to have these conversations with other traders because you never know what you're going to learn. Now I do know, anytime you have a conversation with Everson, he's going to pop up these stocks that you had never heard before, <laughs> and uh, it's very interesting, very interesting. No, so it's, uh, at, it's out there. <laughs> it's out yeah, there. <laughs> it is. And that's why I was asking you, like, how do you funnel down to find stocks? And, you know, the way I do it is the stock screeners. Um, you know, anytime I'm trying to find meditation, a, a meditation, no, it comes to you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm actually in the process of losing weight. Uh, I've lost 21 pounds, I think, since the first week of April. And uh, before you guys start congratulating me, I can't take the credit. I actually bought a course. I bought a course that teaches me exactly what to do, what to eat, what to think. Uh, yeah, it does tell you think? how to think, that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. It's pretty intense. But I wanted to take that and, and show you guys that anytime we're trying to learn something, we're actually going to get a mentor. We're going to buy a book or a course Absolutely. because we're always trying to learn. We're always trying to improve ourselves. And, you know, I, I'm sure I can speak for you guys as well. Anytime, uh, well, today we are a much better trader than we were when we first started. But, you know, think of all the books that we've read, the courses. And, you know, we even have uh, mentors that help us transition to this point. So, you know, Patrick, do you feel like you're a much better trader, consistent, profitable trader today than you were when you first started out? Yeah, mostly. But before we're getting into that, without putting you in the hot, hot seat, um, it's what is even more noteworthy about your journey with that weight loss program is that you've done it twice. So the fact that it's repeatable is what's most valuable in my mind because a lot of things you know if you do it once it can be fluke but once you've repeated it and it's working again to me that means that 
it's a system that's you know can provide results. I feel like that's even more commendable. So congratulations with that. Now we were asking about uh, getting better as a trader. For me personally, my biggest weakness is discipline. Since I when I started, I wasn't very disciplined and I took on too much risk. Same thing when we play golf. Uh, I my risk versus reward. Uh, Max is smiling. My risk versus reward isn't always the best. I take too much risk for the potential reward, and that's put me in trouble many times, both in the stock market and on the golf course. So that's the thing that's improved the most for me, and that I'm content constantly working on is trying to make sure that the risk, the money involved is worth what I might get out of it. And that's been mostly, actually not necessarily through books, but mostly with talking with other people like this mentorship, that we, not mentorship, but mastermind that we have, really helps talking with other traders and like putting things in perspective. Yeah, we kind of talked about it uh, just amongst e each other, I think that you know, just having a platform where you can collaborate is one of the biggest things uh, as far as being able to have a, a, a mindset moving into uh, your next trade. I think it's important to be able to, to talk it out um, and be, being able to have advice also, I, I think, works both ways. You learn through explanation, you learn through being taught. So. I like the dynamic of the group that we have um, that we could collaborate every week and, and come to these terms because you know sometimes there might not be something that I, I catch in the news or whatever that Patrick would pick up or, or vice versa with you, um, Max. So it's it's good to have this mindset. Um, like you say, you gave me a freebie right here, the RGLD. I'm going to take a look at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it might be exhausted by now, but... Uh... You know, if gold's right. moving up, think, yeah. uh, there's definitely a, it, it's moving at a faster pace, you know, 115 to 135. And I think in that span, uh, GLD went up three bucks, uh, which was really interesting. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about our daily routine. And instead of sending a camera crew to these guys home <laughs> and, in, you know, invade their privacy, uh, we could just discuss a little bit like what our routines are. You know, starting with you, Everson, sort of what what is your routine when you wake up? You know, are you spending 17 hours doing research with articles or, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm kind of sporadic with my research. I, I don't I don't have a particular method that I work uh, with or a particular strategy that I work with. I should. Um, I noticed that when I do put in the time in research and being able to, uh, you know, look at programs, uh, a lot of it has to do with being able to, to feel the market, which is what I think I do uh, best, uh, having that intuition. A lot of it comes from listening to, you know, different podcasts, li listening to uh, different news outlets. Uh, and I want to brush up with everything, uh, soak in as much, like a sponge, right? You soak up as much information as you can, and then you make your analysis from there. So I'll, I'll look at everything from throughout the day from politics to local news. Um, I, I don't really do too much of the local news uh, because for stock purposes, it doesn't really serve my purpose unless I'm investing in something that's okay. a local company. Well, well, tell us what time you wake up since you're all the way in uh, Hawaii. Uh, so, so He never I, sleeps. 
I, I'm I'm usually so I'm stuck to the mainline hours. So I'm 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 set to the East Coast hours. So I I'm probably sleeping in the morning time. Um, if if anything, yeah. I mean it's all sporadic. So sometimes I sleep in the morning time. Sometimes I sleep in the the evening time or sometimes in the afternoon. But uh, I, I like to if I get the chance to sleep in the morning time. And then I'm I'm up uh, I'm up and going at at, at least at eleven. So and I'm working all the way through uh, 3 a.m. So 3 a.m. is when the market opens here. So um, I'm definitely within the market at that that point. So it's stock market is my full time job, really. And uh, the rest is just the, the cherry so on top. You said you're sporadic, um, but you said you act a lot on your gut feeling and. So even though you're sporadic, you're still spending the time to educate yourself with what's happening, you know, listening to other people's views right. and all that information is building up in you. And so when you need to make a reaction, your gut feelings there and, and a gut is basically right. just the accumulation of all the information that you've assimilated. And then it just concentrates into, uh, you know, one decision. And so that's where your gut feelings coming from. So even though you're saying it's sporadic, you're still making sure that you're exposing yourself to that information, which is, you know, like your viewers, make sure you're exposing yourself, right? And the, your time, your time commitment to, to the markets and to um, stocks should be, should be dedicated to how much positions you have open. Or, like Patrick and I was was collaborating earlier before the show. Um, you know, if you have a lot of positions in place, or you have to step in to make a correction. You want to spend a little more time understanding the market moves and where where things are going, and maybe even sell out for a loss if you see uh, some headwind coming in that you know is going against the direction in which you have your your uh, your stock position at. So it all depends on on that time commitment. But I, I like to on a on a regular basis be able to expose myself to as much knowledge as I can. Definitely. Cool. And Patrick, what about you? So usually it starts the night before because I like to look at the futures, kind of get an idea of what's coming. And I like to look at, it, it's not always a great indicator, but I like to look at what the uh, other stock, stock markets in Europe and Asia are doing. Because usually like there's some correlation, uh, not always, but sometimes like if it drops pretty big there, sometimes it's going to drop here too so just get a feel for that and i try to see what happened after hours and then in the morning before the stock market opens i try to see what's going on in the pre-market if there's any big news and i try to think of which stocks i have that are going to need adjustments and i try to kind of figure out like what i'm going to do but usually i try to avoid trading in the first hour because like without getting into uh, like myths and stuff like that, uh, the first hour usually has big increases or decreases that aren't necessarily rational. Like it's more people that are reacting to the news really quickly. They want to drop their stocks or so anyway. So I try to wait until like 10, 1030 if I have to make some adjustments. And then during the day, I just, uh, read some articles, I listen to Bloomberg, CNBC, and then closer to like 2.30 or 3, I start looking at if there's any moves I can do at the end of the day, especially on Friday uh, to 
open or close options for the week coming up. So you agree with the, uh, the I think there's that saying that goes around that uh, the first hour is the amateur hour and the last hour is the veteran hour. Yes, but sometimes it goes in your favor too. Uh, if you disagree with the movement, you can benefit from it, uh, especially since like if it drops too much, then you can assume that often it's going to go back up towards noon. Uh, and the opposite, if it goes straight up, often it's going to taper off close to noon. So usually I try to see if like I, f I can find something that's incongru incongruent. And sometimes I've done pretty well with that too. You know what I've been seeing a lot is interesting that you you're mentioning that is, and the suckers are, right? which is the first hour of trading. I, I've oftentimes within the last week seen the gap up. If you see the gap up, oftentimes the stocks would not create new highs after that. So it would usually be a gap up, but you would see it start to trend downwards. Yeah, tapers so, off. So, so you call it a gap, I call it a window. And so in, in the Japanese uh, candlestick patterns, when you have a window, it tries to close the window, so it will retrace. Mm. Um, it, so it's pretty interesting. So that's a good signal to look for. And it's amazing that Everson and I have like completely different training. And so we use different words to mean the same thing, but we're talking about the same thing most of the time. It's pretty cool. I have, I, have, uh, I, I think these guys are more of the, uh, the smarts when it comes to it, and they probably had proper education. Mine's just like a, a really pigeon education. <laughs> I'm very like localized. <laughs> uh, like, results speak for themselves. Like, so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> results speak for themselves. I may not um, know how to speak right, but still yet. <laughs> come on, you guys, you guys are pretty amazing, great traders, and that's why you know people are listening to you guys. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, so let's move on. I got something fun for you guys. What about you, Max? What's your routine? Oh yeah, what's oh, your routine? Oh, you want to hear Max? about my don't, routine? Don't try to don't try to get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't feel like people cared about, you know, what I ate, you know, what time I got up. So I make sure that I'm up uh, no, at 830 <laughs> at 830. And, you know, that's where I start um, looking at uh, what the market's doing, the futures are doing pre-market. And so I'm just going over all my strategies for the three different directions up, down or sideways, making sure that I'm fluent in what I need to do if this happens or that happens. I make sure that I'm there for the first hour of the market to see if I need to make any adjustments. Uh, then I go back to do uh, the rest of my work. Midday or so, I'll keep track and make sure that uh, nothing unusual happens. And if I need to make an adjustment, I already know what to do because I practiced at the beginning of the day what to do. And then once the market closes, I just make sure I go over all, uh, all my positions, making sure nothing unusual happens. Uh, and then I rehearse for the next day, uh, making sure that the price would actually accommodate the three specific um, strategies that I would use for up, down, or sideways. Uh, so I, I do a lot more work than I should, uh, but I'd just rather be more prepared for my position than underprepared. That's just, uh, just that's the way I like to be. Um, and so um, Nick Saban, the coach for Alabama, he says, don't practice a play until you get it right. Practice a, a play until you can't get it wrong. And so that's sort of the mentality I have in my trading. I just make sure that I'm practicing 
my method at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, making sure that it when something happens, I know exactly what to do and I don't really have to think about it. And I even know the prices of the option so I can make the decision pretty quickly. Um, so now we get into this fun part. Um, in my book uh, that's coming out pretty soon, I talk about the three different types of traders. And uh, so we could talk a little bit about the mindset, the three different types of traders. Uh, the first one is the Delta trader. And to me, the Delta trader is like the jock. This is the guy that everybody loves. He makes great money. He's going to drive a Ferrari or Lamborghini pretty soon. His return on investment is very good, very consistent trader. Um, and that's the guy that everybody wants to be. And most of the traders try to become a Delta trader. So I want to ask you, Everson, since you're probably our, uh, you're most associated with the Delta trading, sort of what is your mindset um, in terms of going into the market? Um, are you trying to make sure that uh, you're trying to double, triple, quadruple your money? I mean, what's the mindset of a jock, a, a Delta trader in the market? <laughs> well, like, like I've said in, the, in these episodes, the past episodes, I, I really don't see myself as uh, like I've, I've spoke with a lot of different people. Um, one, one of them being my cousin, uh, and one, one of them a close friend of mine's that uh, you know they're they're more I guess you could say delta traders. They're more um, momentum traders than I am, but they move huge positions. I, I tend to look for those breakouts. Uh, my mentality from when I first started, bring you back to the origin, when I first started trading, my mentality was if I, if I don't have money to be able to, a lot of money to be able to invest, then there's no way I can move the percentages. And then I, I looked into the frequency of being able to uh, you know, hit those target uh, percentages or, or, or prices for myself. And so I think that method is really, um, you know, besides the risk tolerance, right? As we went over before, you have the risk tolerance, but if you can create a frequency of success uh, throughout the year, I think that proves itself worthy over overall. So understanding the frequency, understanding the risk tolerance, and uh, really really i think what saves you is your defense and defense to me is your risk tolerance your aggression would be your your offense would be your research you know you got your research and everything well actually that'd be just a plan right I, I i never had an analogy before this but i'm gonna throw in an analogy you'll probably have one somewhere in the show too but i kind of see that as uh as my analogy in a football or, or any sport for that matter is your defense is your risk tolerance and your game plan is your research that you conduct and your execution is, uh, you know, the, the, the plans that you put in place when you execute a trade. So, Well, you're talking about sports and they say that defense wins championships. And uh, <laughs> so exactly in trading as well. Well done. Um, and so now the next guy is the theta trader. And in my mind, the theta trader is like the geek. And he's like, well, with this calculation, I can predict that the month following June will be July. And actually, if you look at the, the, the time decay, it, the acceleration of decay will uh, accelerate as we get to expiration. And that's so, his actual uh, that's voice. How I, yeah, yeah. That's his actual voice. So that's, this that's is the his, This is his podcast voice right now. <laughs> yeah. I have to tone it down a little bit. 
bring it down to base. So, uh, Patrick, talk a little bit about the mindset of a theta trader, which is completely different than a delta trader. Wait, are you calling me a geek? <laughs> well, if, if you're a theta trader, then you're a geek. I'm definitely a theta trader, but I wanted to see your opinion on how a theta trader uh, thinks. I'm offended. No, well, I'm offended. I'm sorry. <laughs> what I like about it is that you can calculate your risk and your reward. As I mentioned before, that's one thing that I struggled with in the past. So now when I sell an option, I know how much I can make. I know how much I can lose, especially if you know I have a hedge against it. And that's how I like to operate now. But it's not sexy. It's not... Uh, you know, you don't have the big swings, the big wins, but it's more of a consistent uh, increase in your portfolio over time. And, you know, when you're thinking about the long run, compounding those little wins, in my mind, it's more like a base hitter versus a home run king, you know? So two different types of baseball players, uh, both have their place on the team, but they operate differently. So my goal is to hit singles, try to steal a base once in a while, and, you know, hopefully get to the home plate. I like it. There's the analogy. I like it. You know, you got, you got the home run hitter and the first base hitter, and they're both really important on the team. You got to make sure you get people on the base, and then you got to make people, you know, have make sure that Babe Ruth shows up, and then he just lets everybody go home. Um the last uh, trader that I that we have here is the, uh, is the Vega trader, the, the Vega trader. And uh, the Vega trader to me is like the hippie. And uh, he's like, dude, man, what goes up must come down. And that's that's what Vega trading is all about. They they truly understand that volatility is not here to stay and it's not going to be gone forever. It will always come and go. And, you know, if you look at a stock, a stock can actually get beyond a certain price range and never get back down to where it came from or vice versa. It might drop below a certain price point and never get back up. But it, with the VIX and volatility, it will always go up and always come down. And so these Vega traders, you know, I call them the hippies just because, you know, they're more into the true... Uh, routines and cycles of nature, they know that the VIX will be high one day and it will come back down. So those are basically the three char uh, cartoon characters that I talk a little bit about in my book. But I hope that helps you guys understand the different mindset of traders. And, you know, you find the one that works best for you and then learn how to do those techniques and strategies because the more in sync you are with your strategies, the better uh, trader you'll be. So um, I did a little bit of self-analysis lately, and I always thought that I was a proactive guy, you know, making sure that uh, you know, I'm trying to predict the future and making sure my positions are okay. But I uh, came to the conclusion that I'm actually a reactive trader. And, you know, I have conversations with Patrick and Everson where I actually need to wait for confirmation. I need to wait for data to show up in the stock um before i act on it so i'm a reactive trader i wanted to hear if you guys could do a little bit of self-analysis uh, analysis and see if you guys were proactive or reactive now i make sure that i plan my three strategies for up down or sideways every morning and every night but i don't act until something shows up in my chart 
and the price action moves. So, Patrick, uh, do you feel like you're reactive or proactive? Well, traditionally, I was mostly trying to predict the future, kind of Everson was talking about it a little bit earlier. I mean, I'm big into news and everything, so I've always tried to figure out, well, what's going to happen in the future based on where we are now and make predictions and act upon it. But lately, I started to change my position to mostly because of Max's uh, calling every show. He's been calling the trends pretty well, and you look throughout the week and it tends to confirm it. So I started shifting my way of thinking a little bit where obviously I'm still going to look for long-term trends. For example, when I was talking about tech uh, and how it's going to affect business, not just during the pandemic, but later on, how some of the trends are going to, are here to stay basically. But at the same time, it's good when the charts confirm your what you're thinking is going to happen. So for example, uh, just a quick like specific example, uh, when we're looking at GLD, which is w what we use to trade gold, basically, um, there's resistance at 164. So I am above the resistance in my position, but if it crosses 164, well, I'll adjust it. So in the past, I would just have tried to predict if it was going to reach the level that you know I, I'm at, but now, using uh, kind of like what Max has been talking about during the show, I'm paying a little bit more attention to the trends and what actually happening right now in the market as opposed to just trying to predict it. Wow. All right. That blew me away. Everson, what, uh, are you reactive or proactive? Um, I think that, I think I'm like you, Max. I think I'm, I'm reactive. I try to be proactive as much as I can. I noticed that sometimes when I'm proactive, I'm a little over proactive. Um, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a, a case in point. Well, let me let me think of a good one. It's like the waste management. Let's just say, uh, I weighed that around on waste management about two two years ago, or maybe a year ago. Uh, I waited around for. The, the price to get to where I wanted it to, which is roughly around $100, $120 per share. Um, but I was I was too early in that stock, so I, I waited almost a whole year. Amazon was the same thing for me um, last year, where I waited around for Amazon for an entire year, and it, it hadn't produced very much. But, you know, within the last few months, I, I think it's it's gone up quite a bit. Um, reaching new highs at, at one point even. Um, so there's there's sometimes where I see something and I, I feel strongly about a, a particular stock um, and I'm just in too early. So, you know, in those cases, I'd have to just adjust myself um, accordingly. But it, it, never, it never gets to a point where, for me, where I can't come up with an exit strategy because like I said, your defense is your greatest weapon. So when you have that in place with your risk tolerance, then um, even if you come in too, too early, um, as long as it's a pretty good uh, cyclical move in a stock, then you know it's going to go in the right direction r regardless. So, um, 
Yeah, that's that's sort of where I am. I'm a hybrid when it comes to that. But I, I've been more reactive than proactive recently. So to be honest, doesn't being reactive sound worse than proactive? But it's working for us. So <laughs> when I was when I discovered that I was uh, reactive, you know, I had to understand that it is a good thing. So if you guys, if, if the viewers and listeners are out there and, and are like, wow, I'm actually just reacting to the market. Well, you have three guys here that are basically uh, agreeing that, you know, that's the right way to do it. I mean, you well, can try to predict hard, all you want in the future. But like Everson was saying, he might wait a year for something to happen, you know. But it's sort of hard, though. How do you how do you become proactive uh, in a in an unsure, unstable market? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of us at this point right now, we're we're, we're pretty much just reactive. A, a lot of us, because to be able to see um, expansion at this point, to be able to see, you know, any significant growth moving on to the rest of the year, or maybe even the first first or second quarter of next year. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see shaky grounds. We're going to see uh, instability and in everything for the time being. Uh, it, I, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. There, there's some stocks, like I said, your cyclical stocks that you could probably get into that uh, would give you that mindset to be able to move forward and be proactive. But there's just so much, you know, questionable uncertainty moving forward that it's, it's hard to be proactive. But at the same time, how do you manage being reactive but not being too late to the dance? So my theory is that if you're being reactive, your battering your batting average is going to be higher, but your return on investment will be lower because you're going to be a little bit late to the movement. It's just that you're going to be late to a movement that's uh, going the trend that you want it. You know, if you're proactive and, and you know you're you're too far in the future. You might wait for a long time for a specific position to accomplish what you had predicted, but you might have been wrong too. So your batting average is going to be significantly lower. It's just when you hit a home run, it's going to be a home run. And that's sort of the way I see it. Uh, did that make sense, Everson? Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. <clears throat> you know, so testing, sort of... testing support levels uh, on lows and testing resistance levels as we know it as investors and traders um, is one way where we have learned to identify whether a stock has reached its bottom or whether a stock has reached its size. And I think that's a significant lesson for those new traders getting into the market. Because one question that I had when I first got into the market was how do you know when it's too high and how do you know when it's too low? And, uh, you know, which, I mean, you could, you could, say a lot of stories about this topic but for time purposes i won't go into detail but you know obviously reach out to to any to to coaching for uh, detailed strategy on on those yeah we, because, we both have or we all have strategies on how to uh, position ourselves with those lows and highs yeah because some people use tools like you know rsi bollinger bands and you name it right. there's all these tools Absolutely. out there and you yeah. can just flood your charts with all kinds of tools Right. That actually can mislead you. You know, let's say a stock is just going up and on the RSI, it says, you know, this stock is way overbought right now and you're waiting yeah. for it to come back down. 
well, you, uh, uh, if you guys have experience with the RSI or Bollinger Bands, you can see price action getting stuck in that direction <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. So just because the RSI says, yeah. hey, you know, this stock's overbought doesn't mean it is. You know, it doesn't really measure the full momentum of that uh, that move. So there are specific ways, and I always wait for that confirmation. That's just me. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what are you guys seeing next week? I mean, we keep seeing the unemployment claims going up every week, but the market doesn't look like it cares about it. So, Patrick, you know, do you see a separation between the the job data versus the stock market? I mean, we're living on hope right now. Um, I, I'm still wow. skeptical. I'm still skeptical. I mean, I, I just can't shake the fact that I'm skeptical, and that it doesn't make sense to me. But you know, the the having the government basically say that no matter what, they're going to bail you out and pour tons of money into the market, buy bad debt, like they created special entity uh, entities to buy a debt. To me, that puts a backstop to how far we can go down again. So next week, I just expect it to. I, I don't. I don't know how quickly we're going to go up, but I don't expect massive declines. And that. That's what I've changed in the past few weeks. I mean, I'm still very skeptical, but you know, if oil can go up right now, almost any stock can go up. But I'm very curious what's going to happen because next week is supposed to be. Uh, the expiration of the contracts, kind of like what happened last month. So I don't think it's going to be as bad, but I'm curious to see if there's going to be some aftershocks. Uh, for new viewers, if uh, if you missed that episode about oil, uh, Patrick gave a great explanation. I believe it was episode eight, uh, and he sort of went through the uh, future contracts of oil and how USO was built and how it affected the whole market. But now let's uh, talk to Everson and see... And I also want to add, Everson, to the question that I asked Patrick about the separation between the data and jobless claims versus the stock market. I also want to ask, um, how do you feel about this increase in inflation uh, year over year up 10% in grocery store goods? Yeah, I mean, you know, mo moving forward, I, I think that it, it really makes a significant difference as to where we are in trade i think trade will either make it or break it to to find out where we're positioned and then also regulation right when it comes to when it comes to inflation of of any kind it's usually a trickle down effect because you know although inflation will affect us all um the the, tr the true cost comes out of where we are in trade uh, with foreign entities right um, because they're the one that are they're the ones manufacturing the products and, and whatnot, and where we are with regulation. Oh, we we knew it through uh, previous administrations that overregulation moves businesses out of America. With that being said, when companies move outside of America, we run the risk of you know having uh, technology stolen, um, copyright infringements, and whatnot. So it does change the platform in a long period of time, I think. Uh, I, I think as far as the inflation on the short term, on a short cycle, maybe we, do, we, we wouldn't feel the pinch right off the bat. But I think in a long run, um, should, should we go uh, 
far off the van wagon uh, to say we could we, we could incur more loss uh, moving into the, the the future. Policies policies matter when it comes to individual states, um, and costs matters when it comes down to individual states. But I think to tackle that question is to tackle those those two that I I mentioned. I did want to mention too, and I think this would be a good segue to get into it on MSNBC. I've uh, run across an article um, online that said that India was looking to lure more than a thousand jobs, U.S. jobs, uh, companies out of China and into India. And this is a working relations that they were trying to do for a very long time. What what the deal was, uh, I, I'm not sure, but it seems like you know both President Trump and the Indian president. Uh, I I don't know how to say his name. I do apologize, but they both had a pretty good working relationship over the years. And, uh, you know, the fact being that a thousand jobs moving out of China, that's a significant uh, that's a significant amount of jobs to be moving out of China. So you, you could it would only make sense as a, a country or a nation for you to be concerned when, you know, good good American jobs being moved out of uh, one placement and moving into a, a whole new country. Uh, both about a billion billion strong, roughly around the same, right? Maybe off by a, a few yeah, million. About one and a half. <laughs> right, but generally in that same in that same vicinity, uh, it's my understanding through our collaboration, Max, that uh, the costs might be a little more. But I think the big difference is, regardless of the cost, is how the deal was worked through. Because as we know it, you as we know it through real estates. Money is made on the deal, yeah. right? So, if I if I uh, acquired a house, uh, and this is going off subject, but I think it's an important lesson. If I'm buying a house at pennies on the dollar, and I flip it for profitability, I've made money in a short period of time because of the deal that I made. Yeah. So, I think it's important to understand that that sense on a more macro level instead of a micro level and looking at how does inflation affect me individual individually or us as citizens individually and take it to a macro level and look at how what, what can we do from from uh, you know the trickle down effect works because of that if we focus on the top uh, top down we fix what's happening in, in you know at the top and we can we can trickle down to uh, fixing the problems below and we, we've seen that with the economy in the last uh, last three years so those were really good points and patrick did you want to add to that um both for the rise by 10 percent in inflation for consumer goods and uh, also our relationship sort of switching from china to india well about inflation i mean i've talked in previous episodes that i'm a little bit more concerned about deflation uh yeah uh, groceries might go up, but with the price of gas down significantly and a lot of other uh, parts of the industry going down, I mean, we're more concerned about deflation right now. I think that the Fed has touched negative rates this week or something like that. So that's we'll have to keep an eye on that uh, as far as the relationship with the with India and their infra infrastructure isn't up to par yet so they'll have to really develop it before they can compete with china but one step at a time maybe they will i'm not sure yet you know what i thought was really funny uh and 
<clears throat> this is just a, a thought that just came to my mind. But if you, you know, we, we had a beef shortage or a meat shortage, right? It was, it was said, um, and I'm sure that in parts of the country, uh, we, we have one of those, but we, we're not seeing it too much here, I don't think. Uh, I went to the store a few days, uh, yesterday was, no, two days ago, and we had ample supply of um, the meat products because individual states start to take care of their own, I think. But what was interesting to me, and I went into a Safeway, was that where we would normally have Tyson products, they had to quickly look at different vendors. And, uh, you know, Arkansas is a state that hadn't shut down. There's no, there's no real lockdown in Arkansas. Um, as you know, it is, it's a Republican state. So uh, guess where all of our meat products are coming from? Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> so it's coming from Arkansas, and it's actually cheaper from Arkansas than it would be buying Tyson products. So, I mean, I, and there's a lot more content too. So per poundage at the discounted rate that it was at, I think it was like for Hawaii, uh, you know, pounds of chicken uh, going for $6.99, that's actually a pretty good deal. Normally Tyson's would be about $8.99 to $10 and on up for a smaller oh, wow. bag. So we have high cost here naturally so yeah. for it to be at six ninety nine was just a steal. I don't know why it's not flying off the shelves. R- reminds me of Canadian prices, but not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so you know we're seeing some inflation uh, into grocery stores, and I th- I, I truly believe that it's going to go across all markets. Why? Because we we in, uh, flooded the market with a lot of money, and when you do that. Uh, you're going to experience inflation, so a lot of people are going to increase their their uh, their cost, and uh, so it's going to cost a lot more money to buy the same amount of stuff. And your your dollar's losing value. That's a big reason why I'm in silver, just uh, trying to make up that that purchasing power. So that's all the time we have today. Today was a phenomenal episode. You got to see all kinds of information. The three my three little cartoon characters. Everson gave some great information about the relationship with the U.S. and China. And Patrick is giving us some great lessons and analogies as well about sports and relating the difference in mindset. So I hope you guys are enjoying our show. Click like, subscribe, sending us a a message, questions, whatever it is. We're here to help you and guide you along your path to become a more profitable, consistent trader. We love you guys. We enjoy all the conversations that we've had with you guys. And uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. Talk to you guys soon.